0: Hello, church, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. My name is Ben Shaw. I'm the Director of Modern Worship and Media, and we are glad that you are joining us today. We wanted to let you know that our addition of in-person Sunday school this past Sunday to our Sunday morning schedule was a success, and we hope to continue to add classes back as they are able to come and join us in the building. We even had a couple of classes uh, that held simultaneous in-person and virtual classes, which was a really neat experience. Um, I know that our schedule has changed a lot over these last few months, so I wanted to recap our current schedule. Our modern worship service meets at 8.30 a.m., both in person in the Family Life Center and online. At 9.30 a.m., we have our Sunday school for children, youth, and adults. And our traditional worship service is at 10.30 a.m., both in person in the sanctuary and online. If you participate in an adult Sunday school class, make sure that you check with your leader to see if your group will be meeting in person because we do have some classes that will remain virtual for a while. We are asking everyone to pre-register for the worship services, so help us out by heading over to our website, fumcm.org register to do that before Sunday. We are so glad that you have chosen to be in ministry here with us at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Now, here is our Senior Pastor, Rev. Drew Shelley, as he continues our sermon series called, Relearning Balance, Sabbath in the Age of Always Tired.
1: Hello, church. Happy to be with you again this Sunday, October the 11th, as we share again in our uh, Sabbath sermon series, uh, "Relearning Balance, Sabbath in the Age of Always Tired. Uh, we've had some really good uh, conversation the last month about Sabbath, and today we think about Sabbath as resistance to exclusivism. And you may say, well, what is exclusivism? Well, Exclusivism is this idea that we get to decide who is in and who is out. You think about an exclusive club or an exclusive membership, uh, you have to meet certain criteria to get in. Sometimes we bring that idea of exclusivity into God's church and we think about how we get to decide who ought to be in and who ought to be out. Sabbath teaches us something about that, something very important about exclusivism. Uh, as the sin that it is when we think about the gospel. Today we'll be hearing from the prophet Isaiah in uh, chapter 56 of uh, of Isaiah. We'll read that shortly, the first uh, eight verses. Let's pray together before we hear the word. Oh Lord, we give you thanks that you are with us. We come now to this Old Testament lesson, to this Isaiah 56, and we listen carefully for your voice to speak to us through the years, through the ages. Send your Holy Spirit to wherever we are to open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today. We pray all of this in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 56. Thus says the Lord... "'Maintain justice and do what is right, "'for soon my salvation will come "'and my deliverance be revealed. "'Happy is the mortal who does this, "'the one who holds it fast, "'who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, "'and who refrains from doing any evil.' Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and who hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants. All who keep the Sabbath, and do not profane it, and who hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples." Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. If you study the Old Testament enough, you start to find the prophets correcting each other and sometimes even correcting Moses or Joshua Uh, We, people of faith, have to think about what that means for how we understand the Scriptures and how we put them to work in our lives. There is a great temptation, and this has been a temptation of people of faith ever since we started writing things down. There is a great temptation to imagine the Scriptures as a list of rules to be kept by God's faithful people. (laughs) Certainly, there are rules. Certainly, we believe and trust that the Scriptures are inspired by God, inspired when they were written, and are inspired when we read them. It does bring us great comfort, though, to think that in any dispute, the matter is closed. The answers are to be found in the text in black and white. And all we need to do is read and do, just like in any law book. Well. This is a law book, a book of discipline from 1963. Here's a law book, the uh, Steel Design Manual. Another one, the Concrete Building Code. These are law books. There are all sorts of other law books that we live by. Maybe there's a law book at your office, uh, the Human Resources Manual. Maybe there is a law book uh, in your lawyer's office, the Tennessee Code Annotated. Those are law books. They are full of rules and regulations for all sorts of contingencies. Uh, This, the Bible is so much more than a law book. This is the story of God's faithfulness in saving humanity and putting creation back right. Within that story, we find God's people wrestling with issues of their day and of our day, disagreeing, fighting, compromising, learning together what it really means to live out of God's grace and love, which is poured out on the world in the person and work of Jesus. We see it over and over again in the scriptures. It is a different kind of book, much more sacred than all of these It must be read and studied and interpreted and lived and read and studied and interpreted and lived. If we look back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we've spent some time there the last few weeks. Moses, faithful Moses, is trying to capture the way of life God desires for His chosen people, the Israelites. You remember their story the most important words, once we were no people, now we are your people, O God, who delivered us. Before their deliverance from Egypt, uh, the Hebrew people were looked down upon by all their neighbors. They were the outcasts, outcasts of outcasts. They always sat by themselves in the cafeteria at school. The Egyptians weren't even allowed to eat with them by law. They couldn't even eat with the Hebrew people. Then Moses came along. God heard the cry of His people, remembered that covenant made with Abraham so long ago, and God acted to deliver the Hebrew people. Here they are approaching the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They are clearly God's chosen people. A pillar of cloud is with them by day, a pillar of fire by night. God is with them, guiding their way. Nobody can get in their way. Moses tries his best to capture what makes them so special. Moses tries to protect what makes them so special. They are prone to wander, and Moses knows that. They need strong guidance. The the priestly traditions of holiness we find in the book of Leviticus, why they're all about the purity of the people, how to stay clear of all that is worldly and profane. In Deuteronomy, we find a complementary strand of thinking focused on justice and care for the most vulnerable in their society, care for the poor, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants. From both streams of thought, come some very exclusive words about who can be part of the community and who cannot. They're written down in the scriptures. Boundaries and fences are placed to keep the purity of the community. There are harsh words about excommunication, who is to be put out, as a risk to the fabric of the community, and just exactly how they are to be put out. The false prophets and murderers, those who won't listen to the priest, are to be put out. Rebellious children, prostitutes, adulterers, kidnappers, those who are deformed or disabled, are all to be put out. In some sense, it's like a list of all the people that Jesus spent his time with. We start to wonder how all this excluding and pruning and judging really works. We we like fences. Moses liked fences, but Jesus jumped all over the fences time and time again. He's still jumping over fences while we sometimes try to make them higher and clearer. Some generations after Moses and Joshua and the promised land, God's people fall away and they are overthrown. They're taken captive by the Babylonians and they spend a long time under deep oppression, as bad or worse as that they knew in Egypt. Isaiah, the prophet, comes and speaks words of hope. The Babylonian captivity, the exile, is coming to an end. God's people will soon be free again. The fabric of this scattered community of faith has to be put back together. It must be put back together, and Isaiah is responsible for that work. Now, you would think that Isaiah would just pull out his Bible and look in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and see about where to put all the fences back up, but he does not do that. Instead comes a corrective word in Isaiah 56, lessons learned about God's grace and love and the real covenant God made with Abraham. Listen again to what Isaiah says in chapter 56 from a little different translation. Salvation is just around the corner. God's message, guard my common good. Do what's right and do it in the right way. For salvation is just around the corner. My setting things right is about to get into action. How blessed are you who enter into these things, you men and women who embrace them, who keep Sabbath and don't defile it, who watch your step and don't do anything evil. Make sure no outsider who follows God ever has occasion to say, God put me in second class. I don't really belong. And make sure no physically mutilated person is ever made to think, I'm damaged goods. I don't really belong. For God says to the mutilated who keep my Sabbaths or the deformed who keep my Sabbaths and choose what delights me and who keep a firm grip on my covenant, I will provide them with an honored place in my family and within my city. Even more honored than that of sons and daughters, I'll confer permanent honors on them that will never be revoked. And as for the outsiders who now follow me, working for me, loving my name, and wanting to be my servants, all who keep Sabbath and don't defile it, holding fast to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. They'll be welcome to worship the same as the insiders, to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to my altar. Oh, yes, My house of worship will be known as a house of prayer for all people. The decree of the master, God himself, who gathers in the exiles of Israel, yet others I will gather also to them, to those already gathered. Hmm. The words are absolutely beautiful, but they fly right in the face of Moses' exclusive fence-building language about who is in and who is out. They are different than what we find in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. What emerges here from the prophet Isaiah, I think, is a learned, proper posture of God's beloved community, a posture of generous welcome to all, regardless of background or brokenness. The criteria here, which outruns all of Moses' lists, includes but three things. The first, a proper grasp of the covenant made with God's people that we are blessed and chosen by God for the express purpose of blessing the world, the whole world, with the presence of God. Two, that we take seriously God's call to avoid evil and do good. And three, the one most important to Isaiah in this passage and really in all of his writings, that we keep the Sabbath. Now, I wonder, if we changed our membership vows to include only these three things, how many of us could stay? We're okay with avoiding evil. That's a good one. But, but living God's covenant, receiving blessing for the express purpose of blessing the whole world, why, that's hard to do if you think about it. And then Sabbath, really, Isaiah? Is Sabbath really that important? yes. So much so that it is the one thing that binds together God's beloved community now made up of foreigners, deformed people, outsiders, insiders, widows, orphans, the poor, the rich, and all who desire to find this God who is putting things right in Jesus. Now, the question comes, why? Why Sabbath? Well, I think... Perhaps it is because Sabbath is the one day a week when we lay down all our tools, when we lift our eyes from our workbenches, and when we see the grace of God made real in the promise of provision and wholeness and care for all people and all of creation. On the Sabbath, you can see all that because you take time to remember, first, that you are not God and you don't have to be, You take time to remember to have no other gods except the one true God. On Sabbath, you start to see what it looks like when you don't have to be in charge of who is in and who is out. You see what it is when your life becomes rooted in God's covenant of love and blessing for the sake of the whole world, not just me and mine. Sabbath creates the space we need to get to know and love our neighbors as fellow human beings because it gives us the space to finally see them for who they really are, beloved children of God, just like you and just like me. In some sense, it is the only real treatment for the cancer of exclusivism which still plagues people of faith today. I think back to about March or April when we got our first uh, serious stay home order during this pandemic. Do you remember that? We all had to stay home, work from home, be at home. The kids were at home, everybody was at home. Not too many days into that uh, in our neighborhood, most of us us found ourselves out in the street late in the afternoon, mostly out of desperation. (laughs) Kids played together, thank goodness. Parents talked, uh, lawn chairs came out. We were careful in our neighborhood to spread out from each other, but we did share snacks together. We shared stories. We enjoyed the warm sunshine, and we all seemed genuinely amazed at how good that time was for our souls. It was truly as if we were meeting each other for the first time. And in some sense, we were. Defenses came down, doors of hearts were opened, life was shared, blessing was found and spread around. Somebody on our street said, we ought to do this more often, on purpose. I couldn't help but think, that's right. I think at least once a week from now on would be mighty nice Isn't it interesting how God already thought of that as something in our best interest, something to think about? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like more information about how to get involved here at FUMC, you can find us online at FUMCM.org or by searching FUMC Borough on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Have a great week.